Good morning, wherever you are, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a PYP Teacher. This is confession number 52, and this is focused on research skills for elementary and primary age children in grades one to six. So welcome back, my primary and elementary teachers. Sorry for the delay. The past couple of weeks have been a little crazy getting ready for my school's verification visit in a few weeks. Super excited. We're finally opening up a library back um, that's been closed for a long time and so many processes in the works. This is the magic of the PYP. I just had to share. Um, and I'm so glad to be back with you sharing my passion, which is about this fabulous program. When I think about research skills, you know, as I was sharing with my early years friends that I see everything as research. Everything that we're touching and feeling and doing is research because it's helping to shape um, our minds about the world around us. We do this as grown people, right? And so how are we getting our students in the primary age to see that research is beyond going and finding information on a computer or in a book or even in a magazine? It's so much more than that. It's about seeking information beyond ourselves, right? And so this tends to be quite labor intensive and, and cerebral for us as educators. And I think, may, I'll be honest, I did it because I didn't quite understand it in the past, is that I would say, okay, kids, we're going to go research now. I didn't teach any explicit way on how to research. They researched and I said, okay, we're done now. I've done my research skills. And how can we go beyond that experience? Some things that we can do to practice and get embedded into our units is we can plan transdisciplinary and subject-specific inquiries in which students can develop and apply and reflect on their research skills. So important that we're intentional when we unit plan. Provide a range of tools for students to organize their research so that all stages are documented. This is why we are always talking about making thinking visible in our classrooms, that all our walls speak to the evidence of the learning journey. We model academic integrity by providing proper citations and references for materials and ideas that are shared with students. This is important so that our students understand that information out there is not ours. It belongs to the other people who published it. Collaborate with, for example, the librarian and technology specialists. Get their help in supporting the learning. Support students to build research skills and learn how to identify reliable sources of information. That is more important than ever with social media and our children online um, more than ever. So when I read this list, you know, many ideas went pop, 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 pop in my brain. First, we need to be intentional when planning inquiries to have a research focus. That seems obvious, right? Not so much if you're driven by content coverage, content coverage, right? Be mindful of the ATLs on how they can help you teach and analyze your content coverage. That's a, that's a game changer. 
And how are we providing a range of tools so students can research on their own and be self-sufficient? That they can self-select tools based on the purpose of the inquiry. Yikes, this sounds huge at first, but no. If you're beginning in your journey, you go to the Visible Thinking Routine website and you look at the core routines. You pick out five to seven core routines that can be used with any content in any situation and you use them over and over and over again so the kids become so used to them and then they're able to self-select which ones they think are most important for the task. That's easy and doable because it's not a heavy lift. If we're more advanced, we're going to broaden beyond the core values and we're going to start looking at how can I use the visible thinking routines, especially the new ones, to leverage thinking and to get my kids to think deeper and to research deeper and have more of a purpose for research rather than just to extract information from different sources. Totally different. Whew. So when we are teaching explicit research skills, we need to teach them also about reliable sources of information. How do we vet certain search engines? How do we vet certain things um, you know, out there? How do we know it's fake news or not? Because fake news is rampant, especially like on places like Facebook, on Twitter. Um, and so how do we get kids to know the difference between real news and fake news. We go to reliable sources like the Wall Street Journal, right? Um, we, we go to places that we know that reputation is being staked on that information being correct. We go to government sites, you know, we go to uh, museum sites, we go to Nat Geo, we go to places that we know that the information's vetted and true. Also, if you go to Britannica Online and World Book, if you have the access to those, they're all vetted. And what's amazing is that they also have the citations as well, ready to go, where all you have to do is click the copy button and boom, you can post it into a Word document. That's how you work smarter, not harder. All right, and now what should students be during, doing during this time? Because you know, that's what everything we're doing to set the stage. Let's take a peek at some of the sub-skills they're focusing on to become more independent researchers. They're formulating and planning, data gathering and recording, synthesizing and interpreting, evaluating and communicating, examining media literacy, and uh, using ethical um, media and information, right? and looking at it and using it correctly. We can't delve into all these, but I'm gonna delve into one that I think is exceptionally hard for people, is synthesizing and interpreting. So now let's take a stab at what that looks like. And there are two main um, subscale criteria. Um, and I'm gonna focus on the first one, which is sort and categorize information. Arrange information into understandable forms, such as, narratives, explanatory and procedural writing, tables, timelines, graphs, and diagrams. So we're taking all this information and we're trying to format some way so that we can access that information. 
This first one goes quite deep, so I'm hoping to deconstruct it to the best of my ability. Apologies, but um, there's only so much time, and I want to make sure that you get some food for thought. So narratives, how are we teaching the form and structure of a narrative text to our students? Are we just saying, hi, kids, here's character traits, here's plot elements. Are we doing it all separate? Or is there more to narrative than that? Are we examining the language used to create a mood in a story? Are we examining how we capture events in our minds to give a sense of time and space? How are we capturing the voice of the author? Those things are more important, and that's how we sort and categorize information, right? I can, when I am sorting and categorizing information in narrative text, I am looking for those those little landmarks within a text. What are the cliffhangers? You know, I am looking for those things, but I'm also looking for specific of um, author voice. I am uh, uh, once I find a certain author, I love how they write. I know that all their books are going to be in that similar voice, and I just gobble them up. Okay, that is something that needs to be taught because that is a part of research, right? Of sorting and categorizing information, helping them to understand that. Now let's move on to explanatory. You know, explaining uh, explanatory is basically informational text. Um, it could be explaining something or explain, you know, uh, providing an informational report. And information can be quite dry and formulaic if we let it. So how can we ignite the passion when writing about information and reading it with different types of texts. How can we use visible thinking routines to help us look at the information differently, synthesize it and organize it a bit differently? This, you know, I, I think note-taking strategies are amazing when we're grabbing information. But I also like things like I used to think, now I think where or projecting across distance where i'm looking at some information that's about a particular place and then i'm trying to see well how is this different and perceived states around me if i'm in the u.s or in a province you know um in a country you're gonna have provinces around you what, what does this look like around me because maybe I have my more urban or rural areas around me that's going to change the way they look at it. Then I'm looking at um, the text that I'm doing. Is this sorting and categorizing? I'm looking at countries uh, north and south of me. How do they look at it differently? East and west of me. And then I project across the distance across the world, halfway across the world. And I think those types of um, organizers help us to think about that and categorize informational text more interestingly and deeper, right? And so we need to use graphic organizers and visible thinking routines and visuals to help our students to sort and categorize this information. The possibilities are simply endless. Procedural writing. Ooh, it's not like a... <laughs> I think of a procedural writing, I think of a, you know, a 
DVDR, a DVD player manual, right? Step one, step two, this is how you do it. Are you setting up your new phone um, or any type of technology? But when we're setting up this type of text, we can use a lot of visuals um, and media to help students sort and categorize information. We can use sequence cards. That's something that we do a lot to help students understand the step-by-step -step nature of things, right? But is there more? I think something that would be more powerful is having a sorting activity that goes to the heart of why procedural texts are important and how they help to organize our world. Now that's deep. And what might that look like um, in the information we're gathering is and how that looks in the classroom is going to be largely driven by your students and your school context. Now, if I were to do it in my school with at-risk students that are predominantly um, Black American, I would probably be doing a lot more hands-on things. Um, but I, because they're new to this way of thinking, right? But what I'm saying to you is this, is that every child is going to have a different way of looking at procedural text. Yes, there's a formulaic way, step-by-step -step directions, but we want more. How do you organize and sort that information that's there? How do you make it useful to your brain? And that's going to be different to every context. So you got to find the one that's going to be right for your students. See, once again, one size does not fit all. Now, data handling, you know, recently I was working with a teacher and modeled a lesson about data sets, and I just showed up a tons of a data set of random numbers, had them organize those numbers and said, can you imagine if we had all these numbers just handed to us? How can we use them? And they were like, Miss Gerlach, this is so confusing. There's so many numbers here. And so that went into, well, then how can we utilize this these numbers and utilize um, graphs and uh, graphs to help us to sort and categorize this information. So we then took that data set and applied it and created a dot plot. Now they understand and they were like, oh, so this is why we use a dot plot. This is the purpose. Yes. And then we further applied it to, well, is there another way that we're um, capturing the same data, but it looks differently? And we did a frequency table or tally mark sheet. And they were like, oh my gosh. They had so many aha moments and even the teacher um, did as well. And I think that's where that type of uh, processing comes alive is when we're helping our kids to make connections between the data we're collecting and what's the usefulness, right? So the next sub-skill criteria is use critical literacy skills to analyze and interpret information. I feel like we kind of embedded this process in the examples above, but the key is how are we going beyond the factual content, the known, oh, okay, here's the narrative, here's the beginning, middle, and end, or here's the plot diagram. How are we going beyond that? We have to establish that first. And this is requiring us to think and have a plan before we just go off and teach the unit. The whole purpose is to get our kids to think 
And how are they researching with the purpose of not only obtaining the information, but understanding and applying it? This can only happen through open-ended questioning, using a variety of reflection tools, formative assessments like the visible thinking routines, and specific direct instruction that creates these aha moments. Try to, I'm trying every day to be better, friends. It's not easy because there's a lot to do. But I guarantee you that if you make the ATL research skills a lot more intentional, you're going to get better results. And the kids are going to be ready for that exhibition experience at the end. And that's what it's all about. Not passing a test or making certain marks by the end of the year. So that's my little bit today for you, my friends. I hope you have a blessed day and we'll see you next time.